Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for the love and support since we launched Origins Africa podcast in May, just this last quarter. We see your reviews, tweets, comments, and even emails. Thank you for your kind feedback. They really mean a lot. And that's why on this new episode and the next few, we'll be exploring some adjustments. Following a few commentaries received, we're currently exploring keeping the length of each episode under one hour, ideally maximum length of about 45 minutes per episode. So we'll be splitting our guest interviews into multi-episodes. Of course, what this also means is that as against the current bi-weekly releases, new episodes will now be released every week. So you get part one of a guest interview this week, the part two next week, and then the next week after that, we release part one of a new guest interview and the cycle goes on. What do you think? So please, as we explore this adjustment, at least for the next few weeks, do share your thoughts with us. Kindly let us know if you'd like us to maintain this adjustment of multi-episodes per guest interview to keep each episode under one hour or if we should revert to what we had before. You can send us a message on Twitter and Instagram at OriginsAF, a message on Facebook at OriginsAfrica, or email us at OriginsAfricaPodcast at gmail.com. We look forward, as always, to reading your reviews and feedback. Rest assured that we remain committed to bringing you premium content on origin stories of Africans who have made and are making their dreams come true. Enjoy. I think it was the moment I first became a CEO. It was the moment when I knew that there was nobody in the firm I could go to and share my problems. Because you don't share your problems down, you share your problems up. And so when I looked up, there was nobody else there. It was just me. And it occurred to me for the first time that I can't complain. I can't moan. If something is not going well, well, it's my fault. And I just felt so alone. This is Origins Africa podcast, where we explore the origin stories of people who have made and are making their dreams come true, asking the what, the when, the how, and the why. I'm Oshaye, and on this episode, the concluding part of our chat with Dr. Taya Oyediji, we discuss why Dr. Taya returned to Nigeria, his leadership mistakes, the challenges he faced launching over with, and his general life lessons. Dr. Tayo is the founder and CEO of Overwood, an investment firm. It's 2010, and Dr. Tayo Yediji had just completed his MBA program at Oxford University. He had received several job offers from organizations across Europe and North America. But he chose to return to Nigeria. I chose to return to Nigeria because the firm, remember when I left Nigeria um, earlier, um, the firm that I worked with, that was a small business and I wanted to learn how to run a business, yeah. now grown to be a huge multinational business. And they wanted me to come in as the director of business development. So I came in and um, I accepted the offer. I could have returned to America or, or stayed in Europe, but I wanted to to help them because it was the firm was the the CEO of that firm was really good to me. Um, it was a gentleman known as Tolu Ogunkoya. He was really really good to me um, before I left. So I, I wanted to. I wanted to okay. give him uh, that opportunity to work for him again. Okay. I'm being director of business development. How was the experience, especially because I know that, or I read that you didn't particularly fancy networking. Yeah, it was, um, it was, I mean, that wasn't what I ended up doing. I think I, I, I ended up working more as a de facto CEO. Um, so I was more operational than, than new business focused. Um, but it was good what lasted. I mean, um, the, 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 the bad part was that I couldn't stay as long as I wanted because, um, the gentleman and I fell out. I think, um, 
I think the biggest thing was that he still remembered the tire of 2003. And then I was the tire of 2010 or 2011. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't his. I wasn't his boy anymore necessarily. I was now a, a fully formed man that had different opinions from him. That wanted to take things in some different directions, and that didn't go over well. So um, I ended up leaving the firm and moving back into financial services for a while. Then one day, while I was working in um, at the at the bank, I got a call to come and head another business in the same industry as he's. Um, I think the the key driver of that was the work I had done for him and, uh, and the reputation I had built working for him. So, um, you know, there's no way you can divorce my story from his story. So I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity I had to work for that firm. Okay, okay. So okay. I came, I went on to... to become the CEO of Stockholm Media Perspective. I was part of the people that led. Um, so at the time I joined, the was was in the process of being acquired by a French multinational, a, a French multinational firm known as Publicis. So I was part of the group that led the M and A process, or the merger and acquisition process for for that acquisition. And it was great. We did some really good work in Nigeria. Grew the bottom line of the company significantly. Yeah, I think I read that it was, you, you, you grew it 300 times in three years. Yes. Yes, 300%, about three times, about four times in three years. Okay. You know, um, yeah. And you know, what, what it proved to me was that some of the principles that I had known some of the, the, the values that I was talking about, um, that they actually work in the real world. You know, sometimes you think that um, principles like just caring for your employees, being a good person, looking out for the firm that you work for, being more invested in the lives of the people than just having them as employees, and, you know, working with processes rather than just managers. That is just theory, but I mean, that firm gave me the opportunity to prove that those things actually work in real life. And I'm immensely grateful to Mr. Shobanjo and uh, Mr. Woshika for giving How me the How did you hear about the opportunity? From I just got a call out of the blues. I got a call out of the blues. Somebody just called me and said, we've heard about you, we'd like to talk to you. I think a lot of times in at the very senior level, um, it's not usually about applying for jobs anymore. You build a reputation and your reputation goes ahead of you. So I was I was at home chilling and then somebody calls me and says, um, there's a headhunter that wants my number. Should he give the person my number? I said, yes. So they give the person my number and the person called and said, um, there's, a, there's a position open for the CEO of this firm. I would like to talk to you about it. Like, yeah, why not? <laughs> yes. Okay. At the very top level, usually that's how it happens. Was this your first CEO experience when you took up the offer? Yes. Yes, it was. Yes. How was it? What were your challenges? How was the experience? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge or the initial challenge was understanding that on, you're not the leader until you become the leader. And you don't become the leader just because you're named as the leader. So when I first joined, there was this gentleman that um, that was the de facto leader of the firm, right? So I, I would give an instruction and I would notice in the meeting that people would look at him and then when he nods, they'll be like, okay, sounds like a good idea because he had been there for 15 years, <laughs> right? Okay. And so okay. with time, I learned that they trusted him um, because he had looked out for them in the past. And if I was going to be the leader of the firm, I had to work with him to understand that I'm also interested in their well-being just the same way that he is. You know? So a lot of people get a chance to lead and instantly they think, I've been made the CEO and everybody must do what I say, otherwise, blah, blah, blah. I think you must earn the trust of the people. 
And it's only after you've earned their trust that they will willingly let you lead them, right? You can't lead people unless they allow you to lead them. You know, so, um, yeah, it was good learning that. So how did you eventually navigate that? Yeah, you know, it was it was more about showing people that. Okay, so remember, I used to work for their competitor. Yes. Right? So there was still a lot of, is this guy coming from a competitive firm to change our culture to destroy the things that are good about us and make it more like them? Is he, you know, like in every industry, there's there's a lot of skepticism or a lot of antagonism between different um, between competing firms. So, yeah, so I, I first had to win them over that. Guys, I'm now 100% on your side. I, I don't have any vestige of <laughs> of love for the people I used to work with. I'm 100% yours. So that took a while. But more importantly... Like how long? Um, not too long. I mean, about three months. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then... After a while, I had to also show them that the new things I'm bringing actually work. You know, we're going to be more profitable. I'll be able to pay you better salaries. I'll be able to help you work smarter, not just harder and all that stuff. So it was when they began to see results, actually, that they they then began to loosen up a little bit. What were some of your mistakes? Um, guess mis- I think the biggest mistake was not understanding the depth of the fears that people had, right? Remember, I used to work for a firm that was a lot more structured, but also a lot more, a lot less people oriented, right? So when I came in, they thought that that was who I was and that I was just going to, it was just going to be structure and no quote-unquote love. You see what I'm saying? And so when I, when I talked about why don't we structure this better, all they were hearing was, this guy has come to make our life more difficult. So it took me a while to understand that they weren't just listening to my voice, they were also interpreting everything I was saying in line with where I was coming from, right? So if you think about, let's, let's, let's think consulting, for instance. So McKinsey would be a very, very structure-driven firm, while Bain is a lot more loose and more fun place to be. So imagine that the COO at McKinsey was hired to run Bain. What's going to happen is that the people at Bain will be like, hey, don't bring McKinsey's structure here because we love the way we work. It's a lot more stress-free. It's a lot more fun. We just want things to come. So everything he says that seems to be about structure would sound like he's trying to turn us to McKinsey. So yeah, that was the biggest mistake I made, not understanding that they weren't just hearing my voice for a while. They were hearing the voice of the firm I was coming from. And that took a while to win them and say, oh, guys, I'm on your side. I love the way you work. I love the human relations. I love all this stuff. And that's never going to change. The DNA of this firm is never going to change. Was there anything you needed to do particularly? Or it was basically the results that eventually won out? <laughs> the results, and then I made it more fun. I mean, I was like, yeah, you guys want us to have fun? Let's do it. I'm all about fun. Let's do it. As long as we get the job done. Let's have a party every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, let's just do the job well. So I, I just, I fitted into their culture, brought a bit of structure to make it a bit easier. And, you know, it's, it's, it worked very well. I think we, we got, we got some good results. Are there any failures? Yeah, we had failures. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the, 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 the successes overwhelmed the failures by far. Which one failure would you want to talk about? For me, you see, this is also part of my management style. It's really not about results for me. Results are important, 
but I like process more than results. Because my view is if you get process right, the results will come. Right? So the biggest failures that 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 I found at are process failures, not necessarily you went for this business and you didn't get it. So I remember there was a time we went for a pitch. A pitch is what you, you call um is, is, is sort of like you're going to try and win a new business and we lost that new business and then we came back to the office and I said guys we're going to have a party today and we're like why why are we having a party we just lost I said well because we did everything the right way and they just didn't give us the business that made me very happy so I rewarded them you know did the party just made everything really good Interesting. And then, like a week later, we went for another one and we won it. We won the job. But I knew we didn't do what we were supposed to do. We didn't do everything the right way. We won it because the other guys were worse than us, not because we were great. So I came back to the office and I almost killed everybody. I was just livid. I was screaming like I was just really, really mad. I was like, guys, this is not who we are. We're better than this. Like, but we won. I said, it doesn't matter. It's not about winning or losing. It's about doing the right things. And they just couldn't get it. It took them a while to get it. But once they got it, they understood that it wasn't about winning or losing. It was about following the process. Because when the process is right, you would eventually do more winning than losing. Right. Interesting. Interesting. What's the toughest decision you had to make? For a CEO, it's always firing people, at least in my view. Um, having to let people go. There were people, there were certain people that had been there for a really long time and they weren't delivering the value commensurate to what they were getting paid and I had to let them go and yeah, it was the toughest decision I've, I've usually. I mean, I don't know if I'm, maybe I'm not a typical CEO, but for me, it's always a really painful process to let people go. Um, always, even till date. I, I've never been able to become cavalier about firing people. I, I see other CEOs that are like, well, they have to go, they have to go. But for me, it's just always a gut wrenching decision to let people go. So come May 5, 2016, you decide to resign and retire early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What prompted this? Before that, I'd actually gone to lead the region in South Africa. So we had done so well in Nigeria that um, that the French thought I could run the entire region. So I was running 34 countries and we had about almost 800 employees across those 34 countries so i had to move to the so i had to move to the south african office to run that so i actually decided to leave because south africa was just a tough place for me to leave my family wasn't there it was really far from home it was just it was just really really tough you know so if i if i was maybe Probably, if I was, if I had stayed in the Nigerian office, I probably wouldn't have left yet. So I think it was just the disconnect of being alone in South Africa and um, oh, okay. and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. But you know, by the time I was leaving, my farm was doing well. A couple of my other investments were doing well, so I could. I knew I could survive without my salary. I knew I didn't need to work anymore, so that made made that decision a bit easier. It was in the course of Dr. Tyre's retirement that Overwood was birthed as covered in the first part of our chat with him. So, Overwood had a soft launch to a select group of people in December 2019. Then we, we, we launched to a select group of people. We called them Overwood Pioneers, about 100 people on December 15. We wanted to to take the first two weeks between December 15 and January 1st of 2020 to test our models, to be sure it was going to work. So 100 of these guys invested with us on December 15th. And then on January 1st, we opened our doors and it's just been amazing. I think um, I've been amazed at how well Overwood has been accepted by, by people all over the country. Yeah. 
So, but Overwood is not a Nigerian firm. We're not focused on Nigeria. We're just starting in Nigeria. Um, we're already looking at some options for moving into Kenya. And then after Kenya, we'll do Ghana. But our goal is to eventually get Pan-African fund within, within four or five years. That's great. That's great. What were the challenges in setting up um, Overwood? Was it just defining the strategy or were there some other challenges aside defining the strategy? Yeah, I mean, there were challenges around building the team, <laughs> making sure the technology worked. I remember on the 15th, <laughs> the very first day, we found out that our email technology didn't work, so people couldn't verify their accounts. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, so yeah, but it's been it's been a learning process. I think we've we've done really well. I'm grateful to God. Um, I think I've been shocked at how well we've done. To be sincere, because I didn't think that um, the firm was going to do as well as we've done right now. But I think despite COVID, despite COVID, we've done really well. Yeah, despite COVID, you know, that's great. Um, I. Yeah, yeah, despite COVID. I think people compare us to others and they see the value we bring, right? Because even, I think it's all about value. We're very deliberate about giving value to people. Let me give you an example. There was a lady who called um, Overwood to make a withdrawal from her accounts during COVID. Her father had gotten sick, right? So what happened was, and we have a very elaborate withdrawal process. Why? The entire goal of Overwood is that you would never lose your money. So the one place where you can easily lose your money is withdrawal. So when you initiate a withdrawal, a physical person will call you to confirm a few details just to be sure that you're the one that's actually making the withdrawal. So when we called her, we found out that she was having some problem with her account. With this, with, her dad was in the hospital with COVID and she didn't have to pay the bills. So our system is intentionally stupid, right? You can't just override it, right? There were things we needed from her that we couldn't get. <laughs> so what Your I said was, this is what intentionally I'm stupid. <laughs> yeah. What I said was, I will send you the money from my own account. The money you need to pay your daddy's bill. And when we sort everything out, Overwood will pay me back from your account. Because she was in the hospital, she didn't dare to pay for it. So I sent her the money. She paid her father's bills. She took care of him. When she was in a better state, she called me and sorted everything out. And then she paid me back. Right, that's overwood. That's that's I mean, it's about the customer making yeah. sure things work out for them. The underlying strategy is customer intimacy. Yes, yes, yes. We really, really, really care about the people that that we call our clients. We care. We're very deliberate about caring for them. Right. One of the things we've started doing right now is like everybody sent right. I can't even tell you all the strategies. <laughs> <laughs> well, people can learn, or is it a trade secret? I don't know. No, it's a trade secret. But, you know, like, we, we, so, the people that invest with Overwood love Overwood. They don't think of Overwood as just something. Like, I send them periodic updates on what is going on in the company. Guys, we just hired this person to do one, two, three things. Please welcome him or her. And they'll email the person, welcome the person, blah, blah, blah. Guys, we're thinking about doing a dollar denominated fund. What do you think? They would have their say. And based on what they say, we'll make a decision. You know, so we're very deliberate about it's not being a top-down organization. It's an organization that the clients have a say in. You know, and I think they appreciate that part of it. That's and great. Let me tell you one more thing. You know, our purpose for being is to ensure that, that the people that have placed their money with us never lose a dime of their money. 
And I've said what I meant. I mean every word of it. If it means taking a business loss and starting over for me, losing all my income or anything I own, people will never lose their money at overhood. That's the goal. People will never lose a dime that they've placed within overhood. It's because for us, eh, we're not, like this year, we're not going to make a dime in profits. I know, I already planned it. We plan not to make a profit this year. From the beginning, that was the plan. 2020, we will not make a profit. Because the goal of this entire business is not to make a profit. It is to first build a model that people can trust that when they put their funds there, it would always be safe. If we do that, we're successful. Think about it. There's a, there's a man or a lady in Enugu. What are the person's options for investment? A bank? 1%, 2%? What other option does he or she have? Right? So we have to be the option that they have. And we have to treat them with their 100,000 naira as if they have 100 million naira. And if we do that effectively, we would have a good business that we can be successful with. In just a moment, Dr. Taya will be talking about how he eventually built his team, as well as answering some general life questions. Stay with us. I'm Oshaye, and you're listening to Origins Africa podcast. Hi, dear listener. If you love our show, please leave us a review on iTunes and Apple Podcast. You can also send us a tweet or comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. We love to read from you. Nope, not later. Yes, I read your mind. Do it now. Thanks a lot. Also, click the subscribe button and share with a friend. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Hi guys, welcome back to Origins Africa podcast. So we've just heard from Dr. Tyre the purpose of Overwood to ensure that people never lose their money. But how did Dr. Tyre eventually build his team? That's another interesting part of Overwood. Overwood, we're very focused on what you can do not what's in your CV, right? So Esther, for instance, is a customer relationship manager. The day she came in, she finished with the first class out of covenants. But hey, what does that mean? I don't care. But the day she came in, we were struggling with some reconciliation. And we we just we couldn't get it done, right? So what I did was I said, guys, remove all the names and identifiers Replace the names of people with their with their numbers, and, uh, just a master identifier. Give it to Esther. Let's see what she can do. She had come for the interview. I said, "Well, we don't have time for an interview. We're busy working. This is the work we're struggling with. Solve it." <laughs> so she took it. She solved it. She brought it to me. Said, "Well, I've solved the problem." I looked at it. I'm like, "Problem solved. Can you start tomorrow?" She was like, what? <laughs> Mirroring your experience then at Citizen Bank. Exactly. She got enough for she started the next day. And she's just been a valuable member of the team ever since. Right? There's another gentleman that works for us that doesn't even have a first degree. But he's so, so good at what he does. You know, it's just all about getting good people, training them, giving them the opportunity to do the best they can do. You know, and I'm really, really proud of this team. I think um, I, I think I'm lucky with respect to recruitment because maybe because I was also a good staff for people. Like when I when I was just when I was a, a an employee, I would work for you as if it's my father's business. I would give you everything, even though I'm just an employee. So maybe it's the karma of goodwill that I had sown soon while working for the people that's coming to yeah i hope so (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one so looking back now you see how all the dots connect in your journey i think so yeah i think so i think so i think it's been i think it's been a good life Okay. How do you, man? Could you shed more light? 
like I feel like it's an it's an it's an improbable story, but it's been a good story. Um, I'm just grateful. Like some days I wake up and I look up and I'm just grateful to God. You know, like I couldn't have scripted it. You know, when I think about my family, when I think about Overwood, when I think about how I grew up, when I think about Demola that was just working beside me and said, "Oh, it's possible to go get to go start." Yeah, you know, what if he didn't? What if he wasn't working on the desk just beside me? You know, it would be a different story. Maybe it would also be a good story, but it would be a different story. You know, what if um, my father hadn't died and literally forced my mom to go become an entrepreneur? What if, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm just, listen, I don't know what people believe about God or no God or whatever, but I'm just intensely grateful for every opportunity I've had. I, I don't take for granted at all. I don't think I'm awesome or I'm great or anything like that. I think, I think God's just been good to me. And I'm just intensely grateful to, to him for that. Okay. Looking back now, what would you say are your key lessons that life has taught you? I think it's just to do the best wherever you are because you never know what's going to come out of that. Just, just do the best and learn. You know? Um, just do your best everywhere. Right, like people, I, I get, I get really, really frustrated when people who don't do good work complain and just, you know, just complain and, um, yeah, I, I can, I can't stand it. I think when wherever you are, when you put in your best, then bigger things will come. At least that's what I found, you know. Okay. You you um, shared a thread a few maybe a few months back. I don't know things you th- you wish you hadn't known in your twenties. Five key things. Mm-hmm. So I'll um, read them out now. I would appreciate if maybe you could talk about the epiphanies or those moments that uh, or the experiences you had that drove those epiphanies you had. So one, the first one was hard work always pays. Yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've found that that um, people, so a lot of people who don't want to work hard would say, you don't have to work hard, you just have to work smart. And I think that's really, really just stupid because you can work hard and be strategic with the hard work. That's when hard work pays, you know. Um, so there's nothing like smart work when you cheat and steal and do all this stuff. Life has a way of paying you back. You never get away with it. You know, so I feel like, you know, people just need to understand that hard work is important in, and it's always pays. So what's strategic work? So strategic work is hard work that is directed. So, like, I do real estate, and some of the hardest working people I've ever seen are construction workers. They work really, really hard every day. But the gains they make are not commensurate to the hard work they do. But if you start as a construction worker, and you're strategic in thinking, how do I become a foreman? Right? From being the foreman, you start thinking, how do I own my own construction business? Now, it's not just working hard. It's working hard and being strategic in planning to move forward with your life. I mean, I, this, is, this is the saddest story I tell, but I, I use it as an example for people. When I was working in Nigeria in 2003, there was a gentleman that was a security guard in a firm and that was all he did and um, i remembered my last day on the job i said bye to him we smiled and then i left i was just a young um, middle manager or there's anything like lower manager i just started right so i left america and then i didn't come back to nigeria until 
That was 2003. I didn't come back to 2011. And now I was coming back to this firm as a director of business development, right, for the firm. He was still at the gates 80 years later doing exactly the same thing he did the day I left. And he saw me, recognized me, and saw me in my official car and everything. I was like, ah, long time, 80 years, blah, 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 blah. But he was still there doing exactly the same thing 80 years later. So some people will say maybe he was working hard at the gates, but maybe he wasn't strategic with his work. I, I don't know, maybe. Okay. He also mentioned people should not be afraid to take risks. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I think people should be willing to give up some things to aspire for the next thing. Right? So, like, people should be willing to give up, for instance, a job in banking that pays a lot more than a job in a startup to learn more about management. For instance, that was what I did. So, but I was 20, I was in my 20s. It would probably be harder for me to do it today because I have a family and every little sense counts. You know what I'm saying? But back yeah, then, yeah. I left a job in a big firm to go work at a small firm so that I could learn management and administration and processes and all that stuff. You know, so people should be willing to take risks like that when they're young. What are your blind sides? Um, I don't know. Everybody does. Everybody has things they're not good at, you know. I'm probably not, um, I'm sure I have to, but I can't think of it now. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but it would be good to say once so that people can know that, um, Maybe I'll come back to it. You can think on that. So what are your fears today? Or your insecurities today? Yeah. Today. They're not as many as they used to be, right? Like if you're growing up poor and you see a lot of people have things that you don't have, you grow up with a lot of insecurities. But when you become quote-unquote successful and... You stop caring about things like that if you're wise. Some people become successful and then they begin to pack on debt so they could buy this expensive car, buy that, and make up for things that they didn't have when they were younger. I'm lucky that I am not like that because I really don't care what you think about me anymore. You know, I find that very interesting. I really don't care, you know. So so that, that used to be, I think what I'm saying is that used to be a big fear, what people thought about me. But now I think that's gone. So my fear right now would be maybe not being there to take care of my family or not achieving some of the big goals that I have. I have a couple of really, really big goals to achieve in the next five years. So maybe not being able to do that or that's why I share a few. They're big. I can't share them. They're too big. <laughs> okay. No, I probably can. I can share one of them. I want to build a huge software training and development firm outside Lagos, maybe in Ibadan or Shobo or somewhere, primarily because I think they are very, very talented people in those places and they just don't have the opportunity. So like, but I'm not talking of a small, small firm. I'm talking about a global player software development firm. And Interesting. I will build it if it's the last thing I do. God help me, man. Amen. What have been your most alone moments in your journey? Most alone. I think that moment you felt most alone. Yeah. I think it was the moment I first became a CEO. It was the moment when I knew that there was nobody in the firm I could go to and share my problems. Because you don't share your problems down, you share your problems up. And so when I looked up, there was nobody else there. It was just me. And it occurred to me for the first time that I can't complain. I can't moan. If something is not going well, well, it's my fault. And I just felt so alone. 
but, you know, yeah, eventually I found mentors outside the firm. So people that had been running multiple firms for our businesses for a long time, but weren't connected with my firm. So I could go to them and say, ah, this is what I'm going through, blah, blah. And they're like, ah, no, it's not the end of the world. I went through that in 1986. This was what I did, blah, 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 blah. You know, so that helped. That initial time of just knowing that you're the last authority in this place and there's nobody else you can talk to was, um, was, was lonely for a while. What are your most inspiring moments in your journey? I think it was the day I graduated with my PhD. My, my doctor, the day I walked down with that gown and became Dr. Idechi. Yeah, I, it was a dream I'd always had. I didn't think it was going to happen. So it was, it was a really, really good day. Yeah. Best advice you've gotten? Do the right thing. I mentioned Prince Oenia a while yes. back and he would just always tell me do the right things. Like, don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Just do what you know to be right and everything's going to be okay. What are your daily habits and practices that have helped you? Uh, help me. I always look to improve. So, for example, Overwood is, um, is just six months old and we've already rebuilt our website entirely. Right? The first one was good. Everybody thought it was great, but I thought it could be better. Right? So everything I'm doing, I'm always asking, how can it be better? And I think that helps a lot. What did you learn the hard way? Well, don't go beyond your limits. Yeah, I remember, I, I've talked about this a bit. I remember one day I was in Cannes, in France, out of France. And I, had, um, I was on a jet ski. And this is where you start knowing that no matter how people look outside, they can also be stupid. Because this was really stupid. So I was on a jet ski and I saw a, a ship. Actually, it was a, like a cruise liner, you know, right in the middle of the ocean. And I thought, why don't I just move close to it to my jet ski? Well, the thing is, nobody warned me that the more you move away from shore, the bigger the waves and the more likely <laughs> it is to capsize you. Uh. So, <laughs> so as I started moving on, the wave become, became more boisterous and all of a sudden I, I capsized into the ocean and I had a muscle pull at the same time so I couldn't swim. I couldn't even swim to the um, to the jet ski, and I, I just thought I was going to die. And I was like, "Wow, this is a really bad time to die, like <laughs> bad time, bad place to die." Huh. And just when I started going under, some guy that was a lifeguard had seen me and was also on a jet ski, so he just came really, really fast, scooped me out of the water, put me on my jet ski and actually drove the two jet skis all the way back to land. And I was like, what in the world are you doing here? This is so far from where you're supposed to be. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the guy looked at me, French guy said, bro, I just saved your life. And I was like, yes, you did. You just absolutely saved my life. Mm. And I, when I think about it, I'm like, I could have left my kids who were probably seven and seven and nine. Like, that was really stupid. I could have left them forever. You know, so don't go beyond your limits. I think that's... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Would you ascribe your success to your skills, hard work, talents, or to luck? I'll say both. I'll say that I've worked really hard, but I've also been favored. And I've been, I've been, I don't like the word luck, but the providence has also been on my side. And I'll give multiple examples. Think about, um, I gave one earlier. Think about the guy that sat beside me and told me about the opportunity to study abroad. Um, I mean, that was, that was providence. That wasn't just, 
you know, me being hardworking. Um, I'd, I'd, I mean, there are just multiple points. I had met the corporate CEO for Africa at a conference in South Africa, and she was just impressed with who I was and what I'd done in the Nigerian business. And she was like, we need a managing director for South Africa for the region, and I think it's going to be tired. That was that wasn't because I was working hard. That was because I'd just been lucky to meet her, you know. So I think hard work is very, very crucial and important. But when you keep doing the right thing, eventually you get quote unquote lucky. And that's when the big breaks come. You know, so um I'll say both. But you know, take out the hard work, nobody gets lucky to become successful. You can't luckily become successful. You've got to work hard and then God, life, providence, the universe, or whatever you believe in, can then add the the, the final um, thing that makes you successful. Um, if you were in my shoes, what question would you have asked yourself that I haven't asked you? Question I would ask myself. I would say, what are your thoughts around making Africa better? Okay. And what's your answer? I actually, in recent times, searching for a master's in public policy degree. Why? Because there's one aspect of public policy that I want to understand. Global public policy. How in the world did the Jews get so much money from Europe, from Germany, Italy, and and the other, and the Axis power? after the Second World War, while all of Africa never got a dime for the Atlantic slave trade. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Interesting. So the Jews got paid for what they went through, which was horrendous, six million Jews dead in how many years, and all that, so but they got paid. And part of that payment was how they built the Israel of today right? Because of the great injustice that was done to them during the Second World War. Well, from about 16, 27 or so, till even till the 19th, 20th century, millions of Africans were taken from their homeland and they became the workhorse that built a lot of Europe and America. And we never got a dime from it for it. That's one of the things I like to spend the rest of my life doing. Exploring how to get reparation that will sort of help balance some of these injustices that we went through as Africans. Okay. Okay. Advice to the listeners. Advice to the listeners will be guys, just ladies and gentlemen. Just understand that the world is open to you, right? As long as you're willing to to do your part. And that's, you know, being good has its own reward. Because when you're good, life offers equal opportunities to be good to you. And more importantly, that anything that you can think about and dream about and seek to achieve, you're willing to work hard and do the right things it's possible um you know so don't give up don't stop working hard don't stop believing and the future is going to be brighter than today who would you like me to interview next after origin who should you interview next there's a gentleman you should interview. His name is um, Feyo Lupodu. He was the MD of Insights Policies. Good guy. Do you know your blind side now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think my biggest blind side is sometimes I, I, I drive people too hard, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a very driven person and it's easy to forget that everybody's not just as driven as I am. And so, when I, especially when I was younger, I would just keep going, 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 without remembering that 
sometimes you need to calibrate your space, your 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 speed, to be mindful of the people on the journey with you. So nowadays, as I'm a bit older, I've learned to slow down and just work with people until we're all on the same uh, pace. That's Dr. Taya Oyedeji. He's the founder and CEO of Overwood. Thank you for listening to our show this week. If you liked it, do leave us a review, a comment, and share with your friends. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend and to tell another friend. We would also love to read from you. So please do send us a tweet or leave a comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. You can also write to us at OriginsAfricaPodcast at gmail.com. Remember, do subscribe at wherever you get your podcast. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, amongst others. Join us next time as we have a chat with Debola Digi Kurumi, fondly called DDK. She's the president and founder of Deborah Initiative for Women, executive director of Ideation Hub Africa, founder and CEO of Immerse Coaching Company, as well as the resident pastor together with her husband of the baptizing church in Lekki, Lagos. Our sound producer this week was Tumisha Jani, and the theme song was composed by Just Ritimi. I'm Oshaya, and you've been listening to Origins Africa podcast. Bye for now. My father told me life is not a bitter.